Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Good morning, everyone. Here you go, Todd. Um, I'm Brian Haugstead. I think I know most of you, but thank you for being here. Happy New Year, everyone. I am not the normal pastor here. Most of you know that, but Levi is off on vacation, and he gave me two privileges today. He asked me to, for one thing, kick off the year of sermons, which is huge, and then also to open our series in Revelation. So I'm really excited to do this, and I've got a few caveats that I want to start with before I really dive into the message today. So, the first caveat is the goal of this sermon is to make everyone here better at reading the Bible and approaching the book of Revelation. This probably won't be a sermon that you leave thinking, wow, I have so many tools to go and be a better spouse this week, something like that. It's not what we're doing today. This one's a little bit different. We're doing tools for decoding apocalyptic literature. And so my second caveat here is we're covering a ton of ground, and I am not going to provide sites for everything we do. If you don't recognize something, please write it down, go and look it up, or talk with me about it. But we're going to cover a huge swath of scripture today. And my last caveat is one of the things that I'm hoping you will all engage with me in is creating a reference sheet. I'm going to call this a decoder, but something that you can actually use when you approach the book of Revelation. So uh, if you have an ability to take notes, please pull out your phones, whatever you need to do there. But I'll encourage you to do that. Also, I am happy to give you my sermon notes. I'm happy to give you whatever I have. So if you want to just listen, that's completely fine. So. Let's set out our roadmap for this sermon. First, we're going to define apocalypse. That's really big. We're going to start there because apocalypsis in Greek is revelation. So we're going to start right there. Second, we're going to do what we can to demystify the book of Revelation. We're going to make it more approachable. Third, I'm going to lay out my framework for how to approach this book. And then fourth, and this is going to be the major part of this this sermon, is we're going to start creating a decoder. We're going to start creating a decoder around biblical numerical significance. And this is actually why Levi asked me to do this sermon, because about eight years ago, I put together a study on the significance of numbers in the Bible. And numbers come up a lot in Revelation. But let's start at the beginning here. Let's start by talking about what the word revelation actually means. So, in Greek, the word revelation is apocalypsis. This is where we get apocalypse from in English. In Hebrew, it's the word galah. And this is really, really different in English than it is in Greek or in Hebrew. 
So in English, it means apocalypse means destruction, like the end of all things. Actually, if you Google it, it references right there the book of Revelation. It says, as described in the book of Revelation. But in Hebrew and Greek, it doesn't have anything to do with destruction or with the end of the world. It is talking about uncovering something, unveiling something that is hidden. It is about revealing something, exposing something. And to really explore this word, to figure out what revelation means, I just want to go through some scripture and talk about where we see the word. It's very, very different than what we use in English. One of the first places we see it is in early Genesis. Noah, the, the flood subsides, Noah gets out of the ark, he goes into his tent, and his son comes in and uncovers his nakedness. That uncovering, that's apocalypse. Literally, his son apocalypses his nakedness. Moving forward a little bit, we, uh, we come to Jacob, and Jacob has this incredible vision, and God unveils the cosmos to him, and we're told that God apocalypses the cosmos to Jacob. Jumping forward even further, we move into Isaiah, and uh, Israel is being taken captive into Babylon, and they are literally being apocalypsed to Babylon. So there it's a little bit different. There it's about exposure. But I think you can see the word taking a different shape than what we mean it as in English. So jumping into the New Testament is where this word gets really interesting and where it takes full form. So Matthew 11, 25, and 27 use the Greek word apocalypsis. And so the first one is, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have apocalypsed them to infants. If God apocalypsing infants doesn't change how you think about this word, I don't know what I can do to change your minds about it. <laughs> then moving on to 27, it says, No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to apocalypse him. Saul, when he's talking about his conversion story in Galatians, he says that Jesus Christ apocalypsed himself to me. And then when he's talking to the church in Ephesus, he says, I hope you have a spirit of wisdom and of apocalypse. So, when we are looking at the book of Revelation, that's our starting place. This is an apocalypse of Jesus Christ. This is a revealing, an uncovering of something hidden about the nature of our world. So, that's the beginning, or that's the end of our first one and the beginning of our second one. We're going to work on demystifying the book of Revelation. So to do this, let's go to Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. It says, The revelation, so the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things that must soon take place. We're given a ton of information in this opening sentence. So this is an apocalypse. This is an uncovering of Jesus. And it's given to him so that he can show his bondservants. That's Christians. That's us. What must take place? Now, I don't know about you all, but in my church experience, I've found that Revelation is an ignored book. I'm actually very proud to be a part of a church that is diving fully into this book. 
But one of the reasons I've heard this book be ignored is because people say, this is prophecy. We're not really meant to understand it. Um, I, I know Jesus is good. That's all I need to know. I don't need to read that book. I don't really need to touch that part of my Bible. And I want to push back hard against that kind of logic because verse 1 says this is to show us. This is such that we can understand. So there's something wrong here with how we're approaching this book. If we're meant to understand this, why do we go to it and not learn anything? Well, I think that's because we don't know what a lot of the symbolism means. We don't understand what that means, and we don't know what the book is, frankly. So to demystify this book, I have two things that I want to do. I'm going to give you the big conclusions of the book. I'm going to tell you I'm pulling these from a source called The Bible Project, which is a wonderful source if you haven't ever used them. And then, as well, we're going to talk about what the book is in general. So, the conclusions of the book, and you don't have to agree with anything I say up here, but these, if you find something different, that's wonderful. My point is to encourage you to read. But, Revelation, according to the Bible Project, and I agree with this, has two main points. One is a pattern that all human kingdoms, all human civilizations will become Babylon. To understand this, we need to understand the history of Israel. We have to understand the Old Testament. Babylon are the oppressors. They're the people who took Israel into captivity. So all human kingdoms will become oppressive. Oppressive of what? Oppressive of truth. Oppressive of Jesus. Oppressive of the poor, the weak, the marginalized, the things that God stood for. Not stood for, stands for. Stood for and stands for. So that's one, the pattern. And it's all time pattern. It's not just today, it's not just yesterday, it's throughout time. Kingdoms become oppressive when humans are in charge. Two, the second thing is it reveals a promise. And that promise is Jesus is coming back to restore creation and to overcome evil. So how do we get from this crazy symbolism and imagery, why is this even in the book to these two conclusions? Well, this is my thought as to how this book is written. There are lots of theories about why the book is written this way. But my thought is that John is given this revelation. He's pulled into the future by Jesus and shown all these things that he has no language for how to explain to his people. And so he decides to find common ground with his people. And this is really intuitive. This is what we do with little kids. When they need to understand a difficult concept, we put it in terms they can understand. And so what Paul, excuse me, what John did is he pulled from the Hebrew Bible. He pulled from history of the nation of Israel and tied it to symbolism for what he experienced in his revelation. And so this leads me to the third part of this sermon, creating a framework for how to approach this book. So I have five steps in how I approach this book. One, we need to read this book as a whole. We need to consider the entire book. Now, we have it broken down into chapters and verses today. That is not how this was written. It was written as a letter. And John's going to give us things in chapter 1 that he just expects us to remember when we're way further in the book, when we're in chapter 11. And I'm going to give an example of that, but if you forget chapter 1, by the time you get to chapter 11, you don't get the takeaway. So we're going to read the book as a whole. We're going to read the letter as a whole. Second, as we're going, we are going to write down symbolism, imagery, repeated themes in the book. 
And this is going to create a reference tool for us for what these symbols mean as we go. And this is what I want to encourage you to do today. I'm going to give you some symbols and themes specifically around the use of numbers. Next, when John tells us what a symbol means, we're going to use his definition. So I have an example of this, Revelation 1.20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. When we see stars come up later in the book, it means angels. When we see lampstands come up later in the book, it means churches. But I don't know about, I don't know about you, I forget that. I forget that by the time I, it, that it actually comes up in the book. So this is where creating a reference tool can be really, really helpful. All right, the next step, after we take John's uh, symbols and imagery that he actually gives us, we need to figure out what the rest of the symbols and imagery mean. And the way we do this, it's somewhat from understanding ancient culture, but the one that we have more tools for is understanding the Old Testament jumping into the Old Testament and figuring out what this symbolism means. We're going to do a great deal of this today, and I'm hoping that you will see how powerful this is as a tool. All right, step four, or excuse me, did I already get step four? So we're going to decode the symbols. We're going to figure out what they mean. And then step five, we're going to reread the book using our decoder tool. So this takes me into the primary point of my sermon. Thank you for getting through that beginning point. But part four, we're going to talk about biblical numerical significance. So numbers in the book of Revelation and in the Bible in general are carrying on themes. And a Hebrew reader of this book would have understand and picked up on those themes a lot faster than we do because they knew, frankly, the Old Testament. They knew their history as a nation a lot better than we do. But if we can jot down some notes on what these themes mean, what these numbers mean, it becomes a very helpful and powerful tool. So we're going to be just literally walking through numbers and talking about them as we go and working on building out our decoder tool. So the number one, the number one would have pulled a Hebrew reader back to Deuteronomy. The Shema was a daily prayer that Hebrew readers did. We find it in Deuteronomy 6, 4. And it says, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One is always about unity. It's about the nature of God. God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. Together, they make up one God. There's one faith. There's one confession. We make up one church. We look like a lot of small churches, but when God looks down on this earth, he's not seeing a bunch of little churches, he's seeing one church body, one people. So one is always about unity. Two is always about witnessing. Now this ties back to Deuteronomy. This was the law, this was the standard for court proceedings. The testimony of two male witnesses was considered true. And this recurs throughout the Bible. And I know some of you are thinking at this point, really, two always means witness. But I want you to think about this in today's culture and context. I'm imagining that everyone in this room knows the standard for criminal trials in our country, beyond a reasonable doubt. No one is surprised by that. This comes up all the time. If we read the New Testament, they're constantly trying to get two witnesses to accuse Jesus. 
This was their standard for all trials. This was ingrained into the Hebrew nation. And we see this in the New Testament. How did Jesus send out his disciples? He sent them out in pairs of two to go witness. When Jesus died, how many angels were at his tomb? Two, witnessing to the fact that he was resurrected. And how many people did they proclaim the resurrection to? They proclaimed it to two women. See, the number stayed the same, but Jesus flipped the cultural value of it being only men who could testify on its head. We could have a whole sermon about that, but the focus is on numbers today. So two, when we see two in the Bible, it's talking about witnessing. And this is where I want to give you an example of how powerful creating a decoder tool can be for approaching the book of Revelation. Let's take a passage that I don't know about you, but I didn't understand at all first read and work on decoding it. So we're going to turn to Revelation 11, 3 through 5. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. We're going to stop there. So we've got some witnesses. Apparently they're breathing fire. Um, what does this actually mean? So, two witnesses. The number of the witnesses describing witnesses. And we're told these witnesses are olive trees and lampstands. Now, this is the power of having a decoder tool. I just told you what the lampstand meant. John gave it to us in Revelation 120. It means churches. So, we have two churches. I don't know about you. I forgot that by the time I got to chapter 11. But we have two churches. Now, the two churches are witnessing. And we're told these also are two olive trees. So what's up with that? What is two olive trees about? To understand this, we need to turn back to the Old Testament and actually turn back to the Torah, the first five, uh, the Torah, which is the law, but generally refers to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We have to turn back there and look at the tabernacle set up. The olive tree is tied to the menorah because the Israelites would put olive oil into the menorah for it to burn. And that burning symbolized the Holy Spirit of God. So we have two witnessing churches that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now these churches, they prophesy for 1260 days. We haven't gotten to the 1260 days, but that's three and a half years. We're coming to that number, but I'm going to give you a little glimpse forward. That is a number of danger and division. It is a foreboding number. So they are prophesying during a dangerous time, and they're prophesying in sackcloth. To understand this, we need to understand, again, the Old Testament. We need to understand Hebrew culture. Sackcloth was a representation for mourning. So they are prophesying in a dangerous time, and they are mourning. We don't know exactly why they're mourning. I imagine if you read the text as a whole, it's because a lot of Christians are being massacred. I'm imagining that's why they're in mourning. But they prophesy for this three and a half years, this time of danger. 
And then we jump to the last sentence. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So what's that about? Well, fire, again, just like the menorah, is constantly associated with the Holy Spirit of God. And I think the place that you'll recognize this most fully is actually from the New Testament. When the Holy Spirit comes, it grants the people what? It grants them tongues of fire. So the people have tongues of fire, meaning they are proclaiming the gospel of God. It does not mean that we've somehow turned into fire-breathing dragons. We have witnesses that are being massacred, and they are still out, and their only weapon is the gospel. And you know what the Bible says about it? It says the enemies can't stand against it. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that so much more powerful once we have decoded it and understood what it meant? So, I'm going to read to you my full decoded translation of this passage. I will pour out my spirit powerfully on churches that witness and testify to the truth about my son. They will be persecuted heavily, but I will give them authority to act by my spirit. When the powers of the world come to destroy them, their only weapon will be the gospel. Their enemies will not be able to stand against the truth. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that make Revelation so much more interesting? So where we see two, think of witnesses. Let's keep moving through numbers. Three. Three is the divine number. Think about this. Three represents the Trinity. This represents the Creator. This represents God. And God wove this number into creation. There are so many principles about science that we have today that the ancient readers wouldn't have understood, but that are all around the number three. Think about time, past, present, future. Think about space, height, width, width, excuse me, depth. Oh, I've got more examples. Let me keep going. (laughs) Matter, liquid, solid, gas, Phenomenon, energy, force, motion. If you watch for threes when you're learning about science, they come up all the time. It's because our creator wove his very essence into the nature of this world, which is just so cool. When we look at the Old Testament, we see Jonah spending three days in the belly of the whale before he went and proclaimed the gospel to Gentiles. Jesus, he spends three days in the grave. This number is about divinity. That's where we see the number three. Krista read a passage earlier. She did not, actually, several of the passages she read are tied directly to my sermon, which just shows God at work here, which is so cool because we did not coordinate. But (laughs) she read about the angels crying, holy, 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 from Revelation. Think about that. They're using the divine number to worship the divine king. How cool is that? All right, let's keep moving on. Number four. Four is the earth number. And we see this somewhat in nature. There are four corners of the earth, north, south, east, west. There are four seasons in the year. Where we see this mostly in the Old Testament is in the book of Daniel. There are four major empires. There are four kings. There are four beasts. But where we see four come up actually a lot is when you multiply it, when it grows in magnitude to the number 40. So when we have a a multiplication factor, we're amplifying the effect of the number. So where four is the earth number, 
Four is a number that is associated with earthly testing and trials. And this all ties back to Genesis. This ties back to the flood narrative. How long did it rain on the earth? 40 days, 40 nights. Moving forward a little bit, Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai. How long is he up there? 40 days, 40 nights. Sorry, I know sign language every once in a while it comes out. <laughs> when Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh, how long does he do that? 40 days, 40 nights. Where I think everyone will recognize this is with Jesus. Jesus goes out into the desert to be tempted. He's tempted 40 days, 40 nights. So this comes up a great deal in Revelation. Apparently, there's a lot of tempting that's going to happen. But where you see the number four, that's earth, where you see the number 40, think testing and trials. Moving on, number five. Five is about completion. It's this nice whole number, and it represents completeness. Now, I don't know if this is coincidence or not, but the Bible for a lot of history was the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. In the tabernacle design, I'm not going to run through that all, but the passages we all love that are just like numbers and dimensions, you know, those ones you're really interested in reading, uh, five, watch out for that number in there. It's incorporated a lot, talking about God's completion in the temple. Now, where five gets really interested is where, interesting, excuse me, is where it's actually taken and multiplied by the witness number. So, completion and witnessing together. Think about this. There are ten commandments. These witness to God's heart for man. There are ten plagues on the nation of Egypt. These witness to God's full and complete power. In Daniel, we're told there are ten horns and there are ten kings. And then jumping to Revelation, we have the Antichrist. And we're told that the Antichrist will have ten horns and ten crowns. And then we're told tri that tribulation will be a period of ten days. Now, you could take this very literally, and it might be literal, I don't know. It could be that the Antichrist will have ten puppet rulers. But what this definitely represents is that for at least a period of time, the Antichrist will have complete power, that he will have puppet rulers and he will be powerful and he's going to be given over power of this world. And that tribulation will be a complete cycle of tribulation, that things will be fully completed. Things aren't going to be left undone. So where you see five, think completeness. All right, now we come into one of the most interesting ones, I think, the number six. Number six is the number of man. And I have bad news for everyone. It's also the number of the beast. Now, man was created on the sixth day. And we see this come up in Revelation 13, 18. It says, count the number of man, for it is the number of the beast. And I'm sure everyone in here can tell me what the mark of the beast is. Six, six, six. I bet that you can tell me where it's marked as well, on your hands and on your forehead. Now think about what this means. I've heard this interpreted as literal a lot of time. I want to give you a glimpse into what a Hebrew reader would have seen of this. First, let's talk about the number itself. This is the number of man. This is six. And it's imposing as the trinity. 
This is not 666. This is the number of man putting itself in the place of God. Now, an ancient Israelite reader would have tied this passage directly, because it is the same language, directly to the Shema, the prayer that we read from earlier in Deuteronomy. And I want to read this again. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. This says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign, where? On your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. I read NASB, so sometimes it has weird translation. They go for very, very literal. But you shall bind it on your hand and your forehead. Going on one more passage, it says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And if you jump back to Exodus, you would see this same language is used when the plague of the firstborn happens in, um, in Egypt. So an Israelite reader here would see hands and forehead, and this would pull them back to a prayer that they said daily, every day of their lives. Now, I have been presented this as a literal mark of the beast, as a literal mark on hand and forehead for most of my life. And I think it's because there's a lot of confusion here. Now, I don't know for certain that it won't be literal. If someone comes at you with a, you know, a tattoo gun and wants to tattoo your hands and your forehead, think twice. Just any time you get a tattoo, think, think about it deeply. <laughs> but, um, but I will tell you that in the Old Testament, I never read these phrases about God and think, oh no, someone's going to come and try to implant me with a chip or mark this on my hand and forehead. I think about it as what I believe it means. My forehead represents my thoughts. And I'm given this whole passage of think about what God, what his commandments are, who he is. And then take that and use it with your hands. Use it in your actions. So if we take the mark of the beast, not literally, but metaphorically, it's when we are putting ourselves on the throne or the beast is putting himself on the throne. When the number of man or the number of beast is imposing itself as God. When our thoughts are on ourselves, when our actions are all about ourselves. And I was really thinking about this and meditating on this. It made me think about like Instagram pictures I've seen with inspirational quotes. And I have compiled something with those quotes that I call the Shema Babylon. By the way, Shema means listen. So listen, Babylon. Listen up, citizens of Babylon. You are the master of your own destiny. Love yourself. Trust your own intuition. Raise your children as you see fit. Follow your own path. Find yourself, think for yourself, heal yourself, know yourself, be yourself, respect yourself. Happiness is all that matters. This is the mantra of our civilization today. And if no one's done it before, I just want to say, welcome to Babylon. So, 
All right, a more hopeful number is number seven. <laughs> number seven is the perfect number. And this all corresponds with the Sabbath cycle. This all corresponds with the week. So, um, actually, Krista, this is another thing that I did not expect to talk about together today, but Joshua, he marched around the walls of Jericho how many times? Seven times. He marched around this perfect number of times. In Matthew, Jesus gives seven parables of the kingdom. In Revelation, we're told that there are seven lights that are burning and glowing and that there are seven lampstands. There are seven churches. Now, it could be that there are literal seven churches. I sure hope that's not the case because that's a fraction of the amount of churches. But I think more, a more reasonable interpretation would be there's a perfect number of churches. God has completed what he set out to do. So, number seven is all about perfection. Then we jump to three and a half. Now, the reason I'm going from seven to three and a half is because this is the number of perfection split in two. And this is all about danger, division, and foreboding. And we see this during the time of Elijah. God shuts up heaven three and a half years. Next, in Revelation, we're told that the Antichrist is going to be given power for either 40 and two months, 42 months, or 1,260 days. If you did the math on either of those, those are three and a half years. Now, you could take this very literally. You could say it's going to be a literal three and a half years. The Antichrist will have power. Maybe. Who knows? But what we know is that it is saying, John is saying to us, the time that the Antichrist will be in power is going to be super dangerous. So, where you see three and a half, or any number that adds up to three and a half, you might have to do a little math. I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. That is about danger and division. Moving on, number eight. Number eight is about the week starting over. So this is about new beginnings. And um, there are a few times that this is referenced in the Old Testament. There were eight people saved out of the ark to start a new world. The child was circumcised on the eighth day. The leper was cleansed after the eighth day to go out and start a new life. Now, what's really, really interesting, and this could just be coincidence, but it's too fascinating not to share, Jesus' name, the name Yeshua, in Greek, actually adds up to 888. If, like Roman numerals, you know, X is 10, that alphabet has a numerical value associated with each of it. And Yeshua equals 888 if you add them up. So this could be coincidence, but think about that. A trinity of new birth. I think that's beautiful. All right, last number that we're going to touch on today is 12. And this comes up a great deal in Revelation. This is the governmental number. I think most of you will recognize this. This ties back to the 12 patriarchs. This ties back to the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, in Revelation, where we see it, we'll also see this as 144,000. And what that represents, we're told in the book, is 12,000 individuals from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that 
Could be literal, I sure hope not, that, because that means only 144,000 are gonna be in heaven, which I don't think is the case at all. But what this could be interpreted as is God is going to create a kingdom, a governmental new kingdom, with equal numbers of all the tribes of earth. Keep in mind the, tr the 12 tribes represent all the earth. The children of Abraham represent all the earth. So what could be being said here is the kingdom of heaven is going to be made up of all people and all nations. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that really cool? So that ties up my section on biblical numerical significance. But I want just to, to talk a little bit more about the implication of this. For one thing, it tells us our authors in this book, the human authors of this book, are very intentional. They know history very well. What this tells us, moreover, is that the divine author of this book, that God is very intentional and has woven numbers into the creation story. And what I find really hopeful about this is if we look at these numbers in order, it tells us the story of the gospel. One tells me that there is a God. Two tells me that that God wants to know me, that that God wants to witness to me. Three tells me that God created this earth for me. He created this so that I can have relationship with him. Four tells me that my sin is the reason I'm separated from God. But five, a hopeful message, tells me that our relationship can be made whole again, that it can be made complete. However, six tells me that someone needs to bear the consequences of my sin. The good news and the hope of this gospel is seven, that Jesus came and died and conquered sin and death. And eight tells me that I get to have new birth in Jesus Christ. Twelve finally tells me I get to reign with God in glory. Isn't that wonderful? Numbers are woven into this text. I know this has been a dense message. For some of you, this is your first or second message here. This is not what all messages are like, just for, for those of you who aren't enjoying this at all. But <laughs> let me pray over you all, and then we're going to have some announcements. Lord, thank you for wanting to know us. Thank you for making things new. Thank you for this new year that we get to celebrate today. I pray that we would go into this year seeking you. I know many of us are making new goals and looking for new hope in this new year. And I pray that one of those goals would be growing closer in our relationship with you. Lord, I pray over this entire sermon series, I pray over this series of Revelation that we can actually get something beneficial from this, that people will walk away from this, understanding your word more and having deeper connection and relationship with you. And Lord, I want to just pray for all your children out in this city and out around the world that don't know you yet. I pray that you will draw them in. It can be hard waiting. It can be hard being patient. And sometimes I know I think, why is this taking so long? Why can't we just go be in heaven? But every minute extra you give is a time of grace so that your children have more time to come to know you. 
And I pray that that would happen in this year. Thank you for these things, Lord. Amen. All right, everyone. I have a benediction for you all. This is uh, composed around the Shema. So I just want you to, to make that connection if you don't already. Hear, O awaken, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with all you have. Think upon his commandments and guide your children in his way. Meditate constantly on his teachings and follow his example in your thoughts and in your actions. I hope you all have a good week. Go in peace. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.